This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On our show today, Beating the Blue Monday Blues, Canadian Blood Services giving three in 23, and healthcare at your fingertips. But we begin with the new subvariant making waves, if you'll pardon the expression. XBB 1.5 is surging in the U.S. and has now arrived here in Canada. According to the WHO, XBB 1.5 is the most transmissible Omicron subvariant detected so far, and it is fast-moving and evasive. Where did it come from? Who will it affect? Will it make you sicker than previous subvariants? And how do you protect and prevent? Joining us on the feed with answers to our many questions about this latest subvariant is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Happy to chat. So, how does this subvariant XBB 1.5 behave? Uh, you know, it looks very similar to other subvariants or sublineages of Omicron. You know, this one might be a little bit more transmissible. It might evade some of the protective immunity that we've uh, acquired along the way. Um, but, you know, based on the preliminary data, uh, you know, it looks like it's, it's, it's growing in some areas in terms of becoming the more dominant variant. It's actually growing at a slower rate than anticipated. Initially, the U.S. CDC thought it represented close to 40% of the um, COVID in that country. And uh, a couple of days ago, they downgraded that to only about 20% of the COVID isolated in the country. So it's still growing just at a slower rate. I think, you know, like anything else, we can expect to see this a bump in cases over the winter, XBB 1.5 or not, related to some of the holiday gatherings that we've seen. And that's very similar to what we've seen in 2021 uh, this time uh, then and, uh, and uh, of course, in 2020, in the, the holiday season in 2020 as well. So, Isaac, does it create a, a more challenging situation, the symptoms, the reaction? Are people sicker with this version of COVID-19? No, it doesn't look like it. Uh, but again, I think it's still, it's still early. Um, I think this is still just Omicron and another variant of, of Omicron. And we've been through this before. Uh, we had, a, people might remember, just uh, this time last year, we were having a massive Omicron wave. But after that, we had another wave in the spring driven by a sublineage of Omicron called BA2. And then after that, we had another Omicron wave driven in the summer uh, by BA5. And those were, you know, from a healthcare system utilization standpoint, much smaller waves. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I think it's premature to know, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it looks like this may be, you know, this might still, certainly, we, sur- we sure might see a wave. But uh, it doesn't look like we're going to have something nearly as significant as, you know, some of the earlier waves we had, like the, the one we had a year ago. So a scientific question, how is XBB 1.5, how was it determined, detected? What, what was done in order to, to determine that this was yet a different and another subvariant? So what, uh, what happens is when, when people test positive for COVID, a lot of those samples go to specialized laboratories, and you can do what's known as genetic sequencing. So you can actually look at the genetic makeup of the virus. And we know viruses uh, mutate, and they change with time. So they can look at how these viruses are changing with time and some of the new uh, mutations that, uh, that, are, that are essentially forming in these viruses. And you can detect it, how these mutations change with time. So this 
This XBB 1.5 had uh, a couple of other mutations that you know, distinguished it from other sublineages of Omicron that were um, that were circulating. And, you know, one of them was uh, basically uh, a mutation that you know could probably help it evade our immune system or help bind to human cells with more affinity uh, and making it more infectious. So you know, I don't think we should sweep it under the rug. Obviously, we've got to watch it closely. Uh, but it, it, people might ask themselves, so what do I do? Is there anything new I should be doing? And the answer is, no, it's the same. I mean, if, you, if you're if you due for a booster, it's uh, important to get a booster, especially for, you know, older individuals or vulnerable people who might be more vulnerable to this. There's rates of high COVID-19 in particular areas. We know that masks aren't perfect, but they sure can still reduce uh, the risk of, of transmission. So, like, from an actionable standpoint for the general public, it's, it really is the same message. And can we just quickly review, because there is some confusion out there about how long you remain isolated. Do you go back into the real world once symptoms have subsided or once you test negative in a rapid test kit? Yeah, so currently there aren't any rules. People can go back and do, they can do whatever they want. And it, but, but I think it's important. Like if the goal is, hey, I, I don't want to infect anybody, um, we know rapid tests are still around, and of course they're not perfect. But if you're, you know, rapid testing positive, and even though you're feeling a lot better, you're still very likely to be contagious to others, even around day five, six, seven. So uh, it's it's just something to note that uh, you know they're not perfect, but they certainly can help detect if you're transmissible to other people. And you know, obviously, it's best to stay at home if you're transmissible to others. But in the absence of that, people should be wearing a mask so they don't uh, spread COVID-19 if they're if they're positive. Are we seeing these subvariants now? In this case, we're talking about XBB 1.5. Are they mutating stronger, if you will? And again, I'm not using the right scientific language, but are they more powerful as they mutate? One would think, science 101, that they would be lessening as they mutate because they they would lose their virility, if you will. Am I wrong in that case? That's a great question. Um, yeah, one of the words that uh, you're referring to is a, a virulence, and that's sort of how much, for lack of a better word, how much power the virus packs, and how you know how deadly or how dangerous or damaging could it be. And you know, certainly, if we rewind back to the very beginning, we had the original version of COVID-19 emerge from Wuhan, China, and what actually happened was it, it mutated into something with greater virulence, something more powerful. It mutated into the alpha variant that emerged and was initially discovered in the United Kingdom. So it doesn't necessarily have to go to something with less virulence. But again, again, the virus mutated and there was other forms of the virus and other variants, and now we're in the Omicron era. So, you know, Omicron can still pack a punch. Of course it does. But compared to Delta and Alpha, it's probably less virulence compared to Delta and and Alpha. uh, so, you know, it, but it doesn't have to go in that one direction towards less less virulence. And, you know, just to reiterate, even though it might be relatively less virulent than Alpha and Delta, look what happened to Omicron when it swept through Hong Kong, where you have, a you know, a, an under-vaccinated population. I mean, at one point in time, Hong Kong had the highest death rate on the planet. Look what's happening now with, with Omicron sweeping through China. You know, this is a population that probably has under-vaccinated and under-boosted um, older population, and you're seeing healthcare systems overwhelmed. So, 
you know, you don't want to go around saying it's mild. You can say it's milder than alpha and delta, but it's certainly not mild. And, you know, you bring up some very good points. Uh, we are in the age of jet travel, and that means that everything that's going on around the world is brought to our shores one way or another. How do you feel about the, the reaction from uh, the Canadian government uh, stipulating that those who are coming from particular parts of China uh, have to sh- show a, po- a negative uh, test upon arrival at Pearson? You know, I don't think it's going to have any impact on Canada, per se. We know it's not going to do much, or if anything, to keep any circulating variants out. It's not really going to alter the trajectory of our epidemic here in Canada as well. I mean, I really think the key is, you know, forget politics. There's a lot of people in China right now who are at risk of uh, severe COVID, and there's health care systems that are being overwhelmed. Like, obviously, I, I don't want to see anyone get, get ill, and, and I don't want to you know, you never want to see something like this happen, and it looks like, sadly, this is happening in China. But, you know, will a policy like this, um, uh, you know, impact, you know, uh, you know, protect Canada or Canadians? No, it's, it's not really going to do much whatsoever to uh, to protecting Canadians. Uh, you know, we know people take multiple routes, and if uh, there is a variant in China, um, it's it's in a number of other places on the planet as well and can get into Canada through other routes. So, yeah, I, I don't think a policy like this is doing too much. Uh, we've been watching the footprint of XBB 1.5 in the U.S. because they're our closest neighbor, and it is now appearing in Canada. Is it affecting a certain group of the population, a certain age group? Uh, uh, is there anything that is uh, connecting this particular subvariant to a type of population? No, you know, any anyone can get can get COVID, including XBB 1.5, and um, and uh, regardless of whether it's XBB 1.5 or another subvariant of Omicron, we know who is at greatest risk for more severe outcomes. That uh, age is one of the biggest risk factors for that. So it doesn't matter what type of COVID there is, you really start to see. Uh, a real rise in the cases that are ending up in hospital and sadly dying. You start to see that rise at a, a roughly around 60 years of age. You know, uh, sometimes a bit earlier, but if you look at a graph of the rates of hospitalization, it really starts to take off at 60. And then the rates are actually much, much higher for those who are, who are over 80. So that's why it's especially important for people who are on the older end of the spectrum to, to get that booster vaccine when they're, when they're eligible. And of course, other populations as well are at risk. So, for example, people that have you know underlying medical conditions that uh, might suppress their immune system or predispose them to more significant illness. Those are, those are the populations that are overrepresented, uh, sadly, in hospital. And, and it doesn't matter what sublineage of Omicron it is or what variant it is. That's that's who's that's who's getting sick, unfortunately. XBB one point five Isaac is a, an Omicron subvariant, as you've mentioned. Does the most recently released vaccine that is tailored to to deal with Omicron, does that, is it effective against XBB15? Probably. Uh, important to communicate some uncertainty here, but effective in the way of preventing infection, maybe. Uh, there's some early data demonstrating that it, it probably does. But of course, we know that as the virus has evolved from when it emerged uh, three years ago, we know we've lost, sadly, a lot of that protection against infection and onward transmission. We saw a lot of that protection earlier on, but that's 
a lot, not all, but some of that's been lost along the way. What's really impressive is regardless of the variant circulating, the vaccines continue to stand up in terms of protecting us against more severe manifestations of the virus like hospitalization and death. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again with the alpha variant, with the delta variant, with the Omicron variant, with the various sublineages of the Omicron variant. These vaccines continue to protect us from more severe manifestations, especially protecting uh, more vulnerable uh, cohorts of our population. The three-year anniversary of the declaration, March 11th, is coming up fast and furious. Do you think that this pandemic will ever be declared over? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be more of a political and perhaps sociological definition. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you look at where we're at now versus where we were, you know, one and two years ago and three years ago, we're, we're in a much better place, right? We are. We have vaccines that are effective in preventing more severe illness. The rates of death have come down uh, dramatically. The rates of hospitalization have come down dramatically. Yes, we're seeing ebbs and flows uh, in terms of uh, hospitalizations and deaths, which are obviously sad, uh, but, but, uh, but they're you know, not even remotely close to what we saw during you know, some of the earlier waves. Um, so we are in a much better place. Like It looks like subsequent waves are impacting us to a lesser extent as we move forward. Having said that, you know, there's always some uncertainty in the road that lies ahead, um, and we still have to be careful. But I do think that if you look at where we're at now, and actually even where we're at from the spring of 2022 to now, we've we've been in a much better place compared to uh, earlier times. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, always a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Kevin Frankish is next with Fighting Seasonal Affective Disorder on Blue Monday and beyond. Blue Monday is upon us, considered to be the saddest day of the year. The third Monday in January is a perfect storm when you have all the bills from Christmas coming in. You have all the Christmas lights and decorations coming down, so it's a little gloomier. We don't have really a holiday to look forward to. Maybe family day, but more Easter. So we're a long way from some more time off all in all. It does tend to bring people's depression to the forefront. Uh, here is uh, Monica Farlow. She is the uh, clinician lead with the Canadian Mental Health Association, York Region, South Simcoe wants to uh, tell us a little bit more about a special program on how you can beat the blues, specifically Blue Monday. Hi, Monica. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So let's first of all talk about this time of the year. And I mean, we don't have to just put it into in, onto this coming Monday. This time <laughs> yeah. of the year, it's great, especially now that we haven't seen really the sunshine uh, for such a long, long time, for, for any length of time. It, it is not a good time of year for many people. That's right. It, it's not. And uh, Blue Monday, if you can believe it or not, it was uh, invented by a, a travel company to try and get us to travel more during this time of year. Um, and it's really stuck around. Uh, but we know beyond just that Monday, as you said, this time of year is difficult. It brings up a lot of those winter blues. Uh, and some more severe disabling symptoms like depression and anxiety. And, and I think sometimes just knowing about it 
might be enough for us to say, hey, give ourselves a kick in the behind and say, okay, I got to do something. But that's not always easy to do to pull yourself out of a depression. That's right. And even just noticing it is difficult. You might think, well, this is just the way I have to feel in the winter. And that really doesn't have to be the case. Uh, For so many Canadians and people living in Ontario, this reduced sunlight, you know, and when it is sunny out where most of us are inside at our computers, um, this really is a difficult time of year. And there are things that you can do to help yourself through it. And as you said, that first step is saying, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. And uh, the next step is to do something about that. And when it comes to that next step, the uh, CMHA has uh, an idea for you. What's that? We do. So our program is called the Ontario Structured Psychotherapy Program. Uh, you might also hear it being called the OSP program. And this is a cross-province service, and we provide some of those services here at the Canadian Mental Health Association in York Region. And our programs, we have a variety of them, all designed around developing new skills and strategies to cope with exactly what we're talking about, low mood, anxiety, and generally just feeling a shift a struggle in your mental health this time of year. And we want to emphasize to people, this is not a sign of weakness. Absolutely not. Um, So many of us are noticing these changes and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to figure it out ourselves. Um, And, but you know, we wouldn't put pressure on ourselves to figure out a broken leg on our own. And we shouldn't do that for our mental health either. Um, It's a huge sign of strength to reach out for help. How can people reach out to the CMHA, especially uh, CMHA uh, York Region, South Simcoe? Yes. So uh, there's a couple different ways that you can do that. If you're interested, you can just submit a referral through our website, um, which is www.cmha-yr.on.ca slash OSP. All right, there's a lot of letters there. We're going to put that on our website and on our socials. Fantastic. If you Google OSP CMHA, it's going to come up for you. Um, And if you want a little bit of support submitting the referral, you can go to your family doctor or your nurse practitioner, ask them to submit a referral. Again, that's just through OSP CMHA, and they'll be able to do that on your behalf. Now, I know what a doctor's referral is. When you say you can submit a referral, uh, what do you mean? Right. So just your contact information, um, a bit of information about the symptoms that you're experiencing, uh, and we receive that and have one of our clinicians give you a call, talk a little bit more about how you're feeling, and look at how we can support you. Uh, And one of the major parts of our program is that we want to find the best fit for you. So we have programs that are flexible in how often you have appointments. Uh, There's programs where you do some reading on your own. We really want this to fit into your schedule. um, And so we'll help you find the best fit for you. I just wanted to clarify that because I didn't want people thinking they have to get a doctor's referral in in order to go. Definitely not. And what's the cost? Yeah, for sure. 
This is a free program. Pardon There's me? No cost. Pardon me? This is a free program. <laughs> Just wanted to emphasize that as well. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, so once again, you Google, um, uh, give me those letters again. Yep. OSP, CMHA, York Region, um, or Ontario Structured Psychotherapy, uh, CMHA, you will find us. All right. Sounds like a fantastic idea. Uh, and like I said, the first step is recognizing that problem. The second step is Googling this. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for this time. And thank you for what the CMHA does. You're welcome. Thank you. Monica Varlow, clinician lead with the Canadian Mental Health Association, York Region, South Simcoe, speaking to us here on The Feed. When we come back, Vaughn responds to a mass shooting. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. December 18th, 2022, a little less than a month ago, five people lost their lives, a sixth individual seriously injured in a mass shooting at a condo building in Vaughan. The city's newly minted mayor, Stephen Del Duca, stepped up, reached out, and stood strong. He joins us now on the feed. Your Honor, thank you for being with us. This first chat of 2023, but a difficult one as we look back. How did you respond. This was probably your first big foray into leadership as the mayor of Vaughan. What were your responses to this mass shooting? Well, first of all, Anne, thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation, as I always do. I, that moment that took place uh, just a little bit less or just around a month ago, I mean, it was a horrifying moment for the city, uh, and in particular for the families of the victims, the five individuals, innocent victims, who were murdered uh, that day at, at that particular condo. When we first heard of the news, I think it, it's safe to say there was shock. Uh, there was um, heartbreak for the families uh, of the victims, also for the family and the individual who was wounded but, but didn't actually die and is still recovering. I've lived in this community for, for more than, well, 36 years now, and it's just, it's a safe community, and it's a beautiful community. And to think that this could happen here is something that I know really shocked uh, people right across the city. Um, a few days later, uh, we did uh, we did organize a candlelight vigil here at Vaughan City Hall. I had the chance, as other members of council did, to speak with uh, the victims' family members to grieve with them. Um, you know, I said that night at our candlelight vigil, there will be a time at which we will find a way to recover as a community and be there for the families of the victims. But at that particular moment in time, it was a, it was a moment to grieve and to think about those victims and what they had to go through. I think that we are, you know, we are still still grappling with the after effects of that. Uh, we've had the chance, chance, myself and members of council, to speak with families of the victims. Uh, they're obviously going through a grueling time having to deal with this right in advance of Christmas, right in advance or in the middle of the holiday season. It's just absolutely unbearable to think about what they've had to go through. Mayor Del Duca, what are you thinking about right now in terms of how to memorialize, how to 
honor the victims and also support their families and the community. This is the city of Vaughan. This is the mayor of the city of Vaughan. Yeah, I, so we have a we have another round of committee and council meetings coming up in the next number of days. Starting our calendar for council starts again next week, and I will be bringing forward a resolution jointly sponsored with Councillor Marilyn Iafredi, who is the local councillor for the neighborhood where the shooting took place. Uh, we have a program in the city of Vaughan where we are able to put out memorial benches and memorial plant memorial trees in honor of individuals who are. Uh, deserving of that kind of honor. And so my resolution to council will be proposing that we take advantage of that program to memorialize the five individuals who lost their lives through both the, the bench program and the tree program. My office, myself, we've spoken with, again, the family members over the last little while. I had the chance to speak with the husband of the woman who was wounded but not killed just to check in to see how they're doing. I know that York Region's victim support program has also been in the community at the condo meeting with people, and of course, York Regional Police, who did a phenomenal job so courageously protecting us here in this community. I know that their investigation and the SIU's investigation continues. It is a new year, and there is much to be thankful for and much to be hopeful about and to celebrate. Let's talk about the Lunar New Year event that's taking place this weekend, Vaughn celebrating in a big way. Why is it important? Well, look, the last few years, we know with the pandemic have been extremely tough for families across the community. We haven't had the chance and in the same way to gather together to celebrate, for example, Lunar New Year, the way that we did pre-pandemic. Um, there's, a, there's a very strong appetite in the community. I certainly heard it while I was running for mayor for all of Vaughn's diverse communities to feel like they are full participants in the community, in their municipal government, and they most surely are. And so, yes, we are kicking off the year with a, a Lunar New Year celebration, which I know is going to draw out hundreds of people. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good way to talk about the year ahead and to talk about being together with friends and family, celebrating as much as we can, remembering all the blessings that we do have in this community and making sure that, that all of Vaughan's diverse communities feel like they are full partners in this city. And the Tamil community is a large, proud, and, and really interesting community. In fact, Canada is proud to be home to one of the largest Tamil populations in the world. How is Vaughan going to be celebrating and marking Tamil Heritage Month? Well, I'm really excited. I mean, we have a very busy calendar for the coming year with respect to the different celebrations, but this is the very first time that we will be celebrating here at Vaughan City Hall, Tamil Heritage Month in Taipongal. It's going to be taking place at City Hall on Monday, January the 16th. We have a strong and vibrant Tamil community in Vaughan. It's a growing community. When we first notified them just a number of weeks ago that we wanted to do this, they were thrilled. Uh, again, this is this is about demonstrating in tangible ways how diverse we are, how strong we are as a community because of that diversity, how we celebrate it together, and how we break down the barriers and, and really establish bridges amongst all of the different communities that we are so blessed to have in Vaughan. So it's going to be colorful, it's going to be lively, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Kind of sounds like you're describing the next event we're talking about, the New Year's Levy. It is a tradition <laughs> that I love, and I know that there have been some issues because of the pandemic. So here we go. Yeah. Your New Year's Levy, Sunday, January 22nd. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I, again, I've lived here for a long time. I don't think Vaughn has ever done a New Year's Levy before, or if we have, it's been many, many years, like, you know, beyond my memory. And so uh, when we first brought forward the resolution to talk about this, I know council was excited, the city staff were excited. 
coming up on Sunday, January 22nd, 10 o'clock in the morning at the Royalton Banquet Hall on Weston Road. Uh, free, ba- free breakfast being served, lots of activities for families. I've heard excitement from seniors groups. I've heard excitement from young families. We're going to have, you know, a, again, a really great time to kick off 2023 as a city, throw open the doors of the city, in this case of this particular banquet hall, invite the community in, just have fun. No mm-hmm. politics. No nonsense, just having a lot of fun, which I'm really looking forward to. And they get the chance to meet you and council face-to-face, that's handshaking, right. yeah. which we didn't couldn't do for years, no matter what the situation. Uh, but that just sounds great, and it sounds really optimistic, which is the way we want to march through this year. Absolutely, especially given what we've all been through. We, we, we need the chance to be able to celebrate, to be together, to be healthy but to look forward to what should be a good year for Vaughn. Mayor Del Duca, can we talk dollars and cents now? Uh, budget, of course. Thank you. Budget consultations are underway for the February release. How can Vaughn citizens have their say? I know a lot of people in Toronto, for instance, are reacting to an announcement earlier this week that likely property tax will be increased by 5.5%. Now the focus is on Vaughn, and Vaughn citizens want to have their say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, it's really important. And so I'm urging uh, the residents and, and frankly, the business owners in this community to take advantage of the opportunities to let council know how you're feeling. I mean, for example, we know that families across the city, families beyond the city, are dealing with an affordability crisis right now. You see it in grocery stores, you see it at the pumps, you see it everywhere. Uh, and so it really does fall to, in this in this case, municipal leaders to come up with a budget for Vaughn that does actually make sure we're providing exceptional service and people in this community do expect and deserve exceptional service. But at the same time, we are being fiscally responsible and taking into account the difficult time that our families are facing. So uh, we have three three things coming up. Uh, public meetings that are taking place on January the 18th and, and January the 24th, both at 7 p.m. Uh, in the council chambers, but you can also tune in. Uh, you can you can also tune in online, and then the the final council meeting is scheduled for February eighth at seven p.m. to approve the budget based on the input that we've received. People can participate um, and view this online at vaughn.ca/live-council. That's the way to do that uh, that online, or to come out to the council chambers as I mentioned ago uh, mentioned a moment ago. And I'm really um, I'm really excited about hearing the public's input. And then taking into account what our very strong and talented city staff have come up with over the last number of months by way of uh, proposals, again, to deliver that exceptional service that puts our residents right at the center of every decision we're making. That's what residents want to hear. And I thank you for joining me on this first edition in 2023 of speaking with you. I like to think it's Mayor Del Duca in conversation. And we look forward <laughs> We look forward to next month, the month of love, February, speaking with you again. Thank you, Mayor Stephen Del Duca. Thanks, Anne. Take care. You too. Thanks. <laughs> After the break, health care delivered to your door or device. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region.
Welcome back to the feed. Healthcare is still front and center in 2023 as we continue to see a strained healthcare system and illnesses like the flu, RSV, and COVID still circulating. A groundbreaking app has just been launched that brings together healthcare services from providers in your area and also allows you to order and schedule them from your phone. Everything from community paramedics and physiotherapists to mental health checkups, even medical spa treatments. Here to explain is MedWorks founder and CEO. CEO George Barakat. George, welcome to the feed. Thank you so much for joining us. So my first question is the obvious one. How does this work? Well, thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. MedWorks brings together the best services from the best providers in your area, allowing you to schedule them from your phone. So you literally can download the MedWorks app and schedule healthcare and wellness services, and they can be delivered to your door in person or your device vis-a-vis uh, -vis through video conferencing. And what are the services that are available through MedWorks app? Through the MedWorks app, currently we have uh, community paramedics, we have mental health in uh, probably about 10 different subject matter including uh, sleep therapy, general counseling to higher end brain uh, counseling. We also have med spa personal training. We just onboarded a vertigo specialist, dietitians, nutritionists, um, even ready-made meals delivered to your door, and that's just one part of it. I think next week we're loading on uh, direct to your door uh, uh, hygienists. So uh, list is endless, and it's just going to keep growing. And in your website or on it, it says MedWorks brings healthcare and wellness to your door or to your device. So how how much of what you've just discussed would actually come to your door? These people, these experts, these these professionals. Uh, most all of them, actually, we for the providers that we have on board today, it really is your choice. Most of the mental health providers they will be virtual. But everything from community paramedics to uh, med spa to personal training to dietitian nutrition really is up to you how you would like those services to be brought to your door or to your device. You can choose to have them virtually or you can have an actual provider show up right at your door. And it's as, easily, it's as easy as scheduling delivery for grocery or restaurants. You know, it's interesting, and we've seen changes in this, but often when there are services like you are speaking of with MedWorks, there has to be a referral from a physician. Is that the case with this app? No, not at all. Um, most of the services that we offer today are direct. You can schedule these services, for example, if you want to schedule a consultation with a mental health professional, you can literally go on. There is no waiting. You could schedule an appointment for the very next day or in most cases, same day, and transact on the app and have that service delivered almost instantaneous. And I don't know this because it changes all the time, but are some or all of these services covered by OHIP? The services that are covered by OHIP will continue to be covered by OHIP. The services that are third-party insurance, the provider's are more than happy to issue you an insurance receipt. Or if you choose to pay out of pocket, again, you can transact right on the app. We're not, we're not reinventing um, the healthcare landscape. We're just reimagining it for you, the user. Where did this idea come from, George? Well, it, it came in a 
kind of spawned right out from what we faced during the pandemic. And I had a real good think about this, and I talked to a few of my uh, my uh, corporations that I've dealt with in the past, and more importantly, uh, individuals that I've, I've propagated healthcare in the past. And healthcare really has to expand to delivery of services at your home. And networks operate in three different areas. So one area is a la carte. You can choose your services. The other area is if you don't want to choose your services and you'd like to have a coordinator do it for you, we have a complete department called Maddie where you could pop our healthcare coordinator and you could say something like, well, I'd like to schedule massages for myself and my partner. I'd like to um, get some remote patient monitoring tools. I'm taking care of a loved one at home. I need some outpatient care son or daughter needs some physio. And you know what? Well, why don't we get mom a manicure, pedicure at the same time? Hmm. Uh, I really like that. And that can be all sent to you, coordinated, dropped into your Google or iOS calendar instantly because it is connected. And you literally can look at a more preventative wellness journey rather than reactive healthcare. And that's kind of what our mindset is uh, with MedWorks. We know that there are two distinct parallel lines is I'm not feeling good, to I need... But there's this whole opportunity that strides around availability and options that should be able to change or shift gears in what you're thinking as a user and what options are available out there. Essentially, we're curating all these great services and great providers and putting them onto one app to make available for you, the user. So in other words, George, this is an aspect of virtual healthcare or on-demand healthcare. It is actually, yeah. It's virtual or to your door. You choose. And will it in any way ease the burden that we are seeing our healthcare system having to deal with right now? Yeah, we believe so. And again, it goes back to what we what I just mentioned is we have to get to a point as a society that you are the most important person to guide your own healthcare journey. You know, I, I spoke to a few people that are leaders of eMERGE departments, and I'll use mental health as an example, where you're probably getting about 500 people per day walking through eMERGE, 60% of them, so about 300 are acute non-eMERGE patients. But just speaking from the mental health capacity, if you, if you look at someone that comes in, um, it's probably too late at that point, but there's this entire journey for one parallel, and I'm not feeling so hot, to the next parallel line where I'm in eMERGE, and that could be 12 minutes, 12 days, 12 months. There really is an opportunity for you to look at a more preventative wellness journey. So what we do is we're putting out all the options there. It could be something like, hey, I need to see a dietitian, not feeling well, I want to change my habits, let me get some personal training. Let me do a home assessment with a community paramedic. But there has to be more, there has to be more of a option-based um, option application, and that's exactly what MedWorks does. I noticed a spot, George, on your website at MedWorks uh, that there is a position for people to become a provider. So there's an area where one would uh, insert one's credentials. How do you vet, how do you make sure that the people that are becoming a part of this uh, are indeed certified providers? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do have 
an application process and a vetting process. And we do also do sterling checks on everybody that wants to become a provider of MedWork. So um, the first process is you have to fill out an application. It's relatively simple. It's half a page of questions. Uh, where do you practice? What location? Our providers really control the entire back end of the MedWorks application where they can pick their hours of operation. They can choose a geofence, the locations they would like to practice virtual, and it is available. They can practice throughout Canada, but they can also geofence their physical areas to say, I just want to visit the GTA and turn their hours on and off of when and where they want to practice. And that translates in real time to the consumer portion of the app. So we really give the providers um, the kind of flexibility that they would love to see of when, where, and how they want to choose to practice. And if a provider is brought into the home, how does payment take place? Payment, is, payment takes place in advance on the app. And again, it's out of pocket. And you will then receive, if you have insurance or third-party insurance, the provider can submit to you an insurance receipt for you to complain, for you to, for you to um, get your insurance company. And I have to ask this question because uh, there's always a money aspect of this, a financial side to this. Is this app free? Yes, it is. Free to download, and it's also free to use our healthcare coordinator. We don't charge for that at all. And anything that isn't really subject to um, government regulations like personal training or delivery of ready-made meals or even uh, physiotherapy, we also give back a... Uh, reward system, just like the food industry, where you can further, the more you use the app, the more rewards you receive, and you can spend right back into the app. And again, our Maddie Department Healthcare Coordinator, we don't charge for that. We don't charge to download the app for the consumers, um, free to use, free to use our coordinator. Our objective really is, let's create an environment of preventative wellness, a preventative wellness journey that you can enjoy with your family. Imagine a world where you could literally call up a community paramedic, have remote patient monitoring, taking care of a loved one, even um, have phlebotomy done so you can have your specimen sent to a lab. You can do physicals at home. In other words, healthcare house calls. George Barakat, MedWorks.com, and the app is called MedWorks. Thank you so much for joining us on the feed. And it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Over now to Jim Lang with the top three from Canadian Blood Services. Our friends at Canadian Blood Services routinely do amazing work every day, day in, day out, year after year. They've come up with something really cool to help this country, help everyone. The Give 3 in 2023 Inspiring Challenge. And to talk more about it, thrilled to be speaking to Sharon Schaub, Community Development Manager for Canadian Blood Services right here in New York Region. Sharon, how are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. Just let the listeners know about this really cool initiative by Canadian Blood Services, Give 3 in 2023. I'd love to share that message. So we have a new campaign beginning called Give 3 in 2023, like you said. And throughout this campaign, we're trying to inspire people to help create a new habit and Give 3 in 2023. So, Jim, this challenge is asking people across Canada to commit to some more supporting patients in three different ways. 
any and all life-saving contributions will have a lasting impact on the lives of others. So, Jim, this is, uh, this is a really great campaign because the Give 3 in 2023 challenge is not a one-size-fits-all. Each individual can determine what works best for them. So a few suggestions that, that we've come up with, Jim, are um, give blood, plasma, platelets, if you're not able to donate, sharing our message on your social media um, definitely helps to spread the word. Um, and if you if you are on our App Canada's Lifeline um, website, please share our social posts to your social media, mm. um, and that will also help spread the word. We also are encouraging people, if they can, to join the stem cell registry or to register to become an organ and tissue donor. Um, if you can't do any of those, you could give a financial donation. You could encourage um, a friend to donate with you at your next appointment. Or if you're not able to donate, encourage somebody else to go ahead and do that for you. If you want more suggestions, go to our website. So it's 3 in 2023.blood.ca. And there's, there's all kinds of suggestions on there to help you um, with this challenge. And when Sharon says three, it's the number three in 2023.blood.ca. Um, you brought up something that I think a lot of people don't realize when they talk about Canadian blood services, and that's making sure you register as an organ and tissue donor. But that it's so important. They, they highlight it on Hollywood TV shows all the time. But I know in Canada, the need for organ donors and people who sign up for the registry is more important now than ever, Sharon. That's correct. Yes. And also the importance of having people join our stem cell registry. Um, currently, we have about a 1,000 people waiting for a stem cell transplant, uh, and we really need to have more people sign up um, to be on that registry. Well, some of the numbers from Canadian Blood Services, just for listeners to understand how important this is, there are 60,000, 60,000 open appointments that need to be filled by the end of the year. There are 1,000 people, as you mentioned, waiting for stem cell matches, 4,000 people waiting for an organ transplant. Uh, this is why it's a perfect time to be part of three in 2023 in this great campaign from Canadian Blood Services. And, and, and hey, if you're not comfortable registering or donating an organ, or giving blood, why not give some money? It'll all help, right, Sharon? Yes, it sure does. Is the message getting out there for people to donate blood, is it a tougher sell than it was before? Is it easier? I'm always curious how people are, how receptive people are to donating blood. So at different times of the year, it's a little bit more of a struggle, and I'm not sure um, if um, people know... During the course of the pandemic, we lost about 31,000 of our regular donors. Oh. So we're looking to fill, um, to bring on about 100,000 new donors in order for us to sustain our blood supply. And so anybody that's interested in donating, we have a permanent blood donor center at Hillcrest Mall in Richmond Hill. And there are 374 appointments available there every week. And throughout York Region, we have several different mobile events in different communities. Um, so we still need donors at this point to book appointments to donate. And we also ask that if you're not able to attend your appointment, please cancel it so that somebody else can book into that spot. Well said, and you can book your appointment at blood.ca. Now, my oldest daughter, or my wife and I, our oldest daughter, uh, she's at Guelph University, and her and a bunch of her friends from school 
uh, they went as a group to donate blood. And, it, and if you don't feel like going alone, it is get a group of friends. Maybe it's a, a book club or it's students or just uh, your hockey buddies, whatever it is. Get a group of guys and girls together and go donate blood. It'll make a big difference and you have a support group. That's exactly what we try to encourage. Jim, thank you for bringing that up. Um, if anybody is interested in booking a group, you can reach out to me at any time, and I'm happy to do that for you. Speaking with Sharon Schaub, Community Development Manager for our good people at Canadian Blood Services in York Region, talking about their 3 in 2023 campaign. Go to their website, the number 3 in 2023.blood.ca. Sharon, how, how did you get involved with Canadian Blood Services? Because obviously your depth of knowledge and your passion is incredible. Thank you. I, um, I started out as a blood donor for many, many years, and then a position came open and I applied for it, uh, and it's fantastic. I, I love working here. It is one of the toughest jobs I've ever had, hmm. trying to convince people and, and fill all of the the appointments, but it is such a rewarding job. I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to do this every day. I love to hear the story, Sharon, about people, repeat donors who have done it on a regular basis for years. Uh, I'm always confused. How many times a year are you allowed to donate? The men can donate every 56 days and women can donate every 84 days. So that's two months and three months. So it's different for men and women. And and that's the, the timing for whole blood. Hmm. Plasma donors can donate every two weeks, so a whole lot more um, um, times that way. Uh, okay, okay, forget, I'm I'm a, a novice at this. What's the difference between donating plasma and donating blood? So donating plasma takes a little bit more time. When we when you donate whole blood, we, we take all the blood, we fill a 450-milliliter bag. Mm-hmm. When you're donating plasma... We only extract the plasma and we, we return the red blood cells back to you. So it's, um, it's a longer process for us to do that. Oh, and then the platelets, how is that done? Again, um, there, and there's only one center right now for platelets, and that's in Toronto. But oh. we will be opening more as we go, and as well as plasma um, centers. Yeah, it's. I just I had to ask. I was like, what? I wonder what it is giving plasma, because I know they talk about, let's hang a bag of plasma, and I didn't realize, so that's how it's done. So I just learned something new today. Uh, You can give something in 2023, give blood, give plasma, give platelets, post about your donations on social media, encourage others to post and to give, share at Canada's Lifeline, their social media posts, get the word out there. Let's do this, York Region. We can make a big difference. Join the stem cell registry, and please, I, I'm a little biased, but sign your organ donation card. Give a financial contribution. Bring a friend to your next donation. It can be a cool thing to do over the holidays. Get all the details of blood.ca. And Sharon and her staff at Canadian Blood Services in York Region are doing great work. Why don't we help them out for this 3 in 2023 campaign? Sharon, thank you so much for everything that you do. Let's hope this 3 in 2023 campaign in York Region is the best success ever. Thank you so much, Jim. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.